Welcome to another episode of the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, down here in Tampa, Florida. The week of July the 11th. We have some breaking news tonight. Russell Westbrook, Oklahoma City Thunder, gets traded to the Houston Rockets in exchange for Chris Paul and some first-round draft picks. Kind of a pretty big move on the heels of Paul George joining Kawhi Leonard with the Clippers as part of free agency, as part of the deal to get Kawhi to L.A. Kawhi kind of went stealth underground to manipulate getting Paul George traded out of Oklahoma City, and then Oklahoma City turns around and trades Russell Westbrook, the longest-running Thunder player in franchise history. I think he's on. I think he's the longest player that's been on the same team in NBA in the NBA, current player in the NBA. So. Big move for the Houston Rockets. I think that puts them right back into title contention. I think Houston gets better, definitely, uh, with the swap of Paul for Westbrook. And I would be shocked if if Chris Paul is on the Oklahoma City Thunder come opening night. Uh, I'd be pretty uh, stunned if he's not traded to a version of a contender uh, he does have a huge salary of three years and about 124 million dollars left but I do not expect Chris Paul to play a game in Oklahoma City who is clearly going through a full re- reload and rebuild now after they've acquired about seems like about 10 first round draft picks in the last week with the Paul George trade and now with the uh Russell Westbrook trade. So uh, interesting combination. Houston now with Westbrook and James Harden. Both players love the ball in their hands. And uh, one thing that's going to be interesting to see is how Harden kind of reacts. And not not Harden, but Westbrook, how he reacts to kind of Harden kind of being the, the the leader of the team. And it's kind of it's kind of James's team now in Houston, as well as as many three-point shots as they uh, believe in shooting in Houston. And Westbrook obviously is not a very good outside perimeter shooter. So very devastating in transition and very good in the, in the one-on-one situation, but not a, not a, and is a high volume shooter, but not a very high percentage shooter, especially from the three point line. So we'll be interesting to see how that fits in, but I definitely like the move for Houston because they were not winning the championship with Chris Paul. And I think Westbrook is an upgrade over Chris Paul. So I do think they're going to stay in contention. You got Capella, you got, uh, Harden, obviously, you got Eric Gordon, uh, you got some Austin Rivers is back in the mix in Houston. So I think you're gonna have some, uh, you're gonna have a shot in the West now. The West is so 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 competitive now with the Lakers, the Clippers, the uh, the Rockets. You have Denver, you have Portland still in the mix. You have uh, Utah is has loaded up this offseason with Mike Conley and Bogdanovich. Uh, just a plethora of teams out west. Golden State's going to be really good again once uh, once they fully get healthy with uh, Clay Thompson back probably at the probably 65 game mark, 65-70 game mark come uh, late February, come March. So the west is going to be a bloodbath when it comes to the regular season and the playoffs. Uh, obviously you have the, 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 the huge news with Kawhi going to the Clippers and not the Lakers. 
I think that's a great move for Kawhi. I think he's going to, uh, interesting note there, he only signed a three-year contract and not a four-year contract. He basically has an out. He has a player option after the end of the second year that he could get out of that contract if he wanted to. And his contract lines up perfectly with what Paul George left, has left on his contract. I think that's good. It's going to give Kawhi options in the event that the, this L.A. Clipper uh, marriage is not a not a great situation for whatever reason, whether it's injury, underperformance, or whatever. So Kawhi is not going to be stuck in Clipperland for four to five years if things aren't aren't uh, on the up and up with the performance of the of the ball team. So um, huge again, massive competitive balance in the West. You probably, like I said, you probably have five different teams that could win the Western Conference without batting an eye. Um, the question is, who's not going to be in the playoff? What team, you know, what what team is not going to make the playoffs that was in the playoffs this year? I mean, think about the that the Lakers did not make the playoffs last year, and somebody that who did make the playoffs, i.e., a San Antonio, i.e., a I mean, the Clippers are going to make it, Utah is going to make it. Uh, Houston's going to make it Golden State. And there's lots of talk of Golden State could fall off the map a little bit, but I like I like some of the signings they've made this offseason. Willie Cauley-Stein I like. They traded for D'Angelo Russell from, from the uh, Nets, which I don't think he'll end up on the – I think he'll be with the Warriors up till maybe the trade deadline, but I don't think he's going to be there long term personally. But we'll see. He could turn into being another one of the kind of a, a, tri a triplets as far as a th three three guard attack with Curry, Thompson, and Russell. Again, you got Willie Cauley Stein there. They re-signed Kavon Looney, so uh, traded away Iguodala. They released uh, Sean Livingston here in the last day or so. So lots of changes going on in Golden State. Obviously, they lost Kevin Durant. So be very. Uh, Again, a should be a tremendous Western Conference. In the East is going to be loaded again with Philadelphia, Milwaukee. Uh, I think Boston's going to be better. Uh, but I do think Philadelphia and Milwaukee are the two uh, leading contenders in the East. you got Philadelphia acquiring uh, Al Horford in free agency, re-signing Tobias Harris. They traded uh, Jimmy Butler to the Heat for uh, underrated Josh Richardson. Milwaukee uh, lost Malcolm Brogdon to Indiana in a, in a uh, kind of a side sign and trade deal, but they but they re-signed Chris Middleton, so I like what they did. I think they're going to be in the mix. Toronto's going to be kind of a hodgepodge. They've lost their superstar, didn't really replenish the uh, the roster there, so that'll be interesting to see how they react. I think Boston will be better with Kemba replacing Kyrie. And they're gonna they're they're gonna kind of go a little bit younger there too. With, they're gonna let all the young guys play. Jalen Brown. They're gonna let Jason Tatum go, uh, and see what kind of player he can become. So, uh, gonna be gonna be a great uh, NBA regular season. It's actually gonna be a regular season worth watching. There's gonna be games all throughout the year worth watching, not just on Christmas, uh, and not just come the playoffs. I think that's gonna be something that the NBA is really needed for, for, from an attention perspective. You're going to need uh, to know that your fan base is interested in games in November, December, January, February, and not just worrying about when the playoffs start because that's how it's kind of been the last, you know, six, seven, eight years. It's kind of been a, the ho-hum regular season's been meaningless. Now with so many good teams, seating's going to matter a little bit. Home court's going to matter a little bit. Um, and, again, I think you have a ton of teams in the league that, could, that, that, have, that can lay claim to uh, – 
championship aspirations. I think you probably have nine to ten teams that could honestly say, "Yeah, we can win the we can win the title," whether it's in the East or the West. Uh, again, Philly, Milwaukee. You got both LA teams. You got Houston. You got Golden State. You have Utah. Uh, you have Denver. Thinks they're in the mix. So I mean, just tons of teams out there. It's gonna be it's gonna be a, a fun, fun regular season for once in the in the association. All right. So other topics we're gonna talk about tonight. We're gonna talk about the the the, the soccer world. We're gonna get, talk a little women's World Cup. We're gonna talk uh, the Gold Cup final between USA Mexico. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about the Major League All-Star game, kind of the, the mid-season, give you a little mid-season synopsis and you know some, some second-half predictions of what I think might happen. And we'll actually get into a little uh, NFL training camp. Training camps are right around the corner, less than probably two weeks away from most teams. Uh, the Hall of Fame, the, the Hall of Fame games, the first weekend in eight in August. So it's again, we're right about three weeks away from a, from an actual football game, preseason starting, and uh, training camp's always fun for me because I always, you know, as I remember as a kid, I used to go to, to Bucks training camp here in Tampa when it, when the, all the practices were open to the public. You could go watch. Uh, most nowadays practices aren't nearly as open to the public as they used to be. Uh, especially here, like here, for example, here in Tampa, there'll be a limited number of practices that are open, but a lot of practices won't be open, but that was always fun. I used to, you know, I used to love going to practice, just driving up to practice. Uh, again, when I was in high school, 16, 17 years old, college summers, just to watch the guys practice. And, you know, it's a, it's a different world now, as far as the, what they do at practice with the regulations of how much contact they can have, how much hitting, all that kind of good stuff. So. But it's a uh, it's always been fun to go out and watch the fellows get ready to practice. So, oh, all right. If you want to reach out to us and send us a comment, we'd love I'd love to hear from you. Send me uh, my Twitter feed is at kick the fb at kick the fb. Um, you can reach out to me on email sportspowers at yahoo.com. We're on uh, tell a friend about our podcast. We're on Stitcher. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on radio.com. Libsyn.com. So we're on several different outlets. So tell a friend about our podcast. Love to hear. Love to hear from you. Got any comments, suggestions? That all that kind of good stuff. It's all good to good to know. Good to hear from you. Our U.S. women win their fourth World Cup. Kind of a ho hum performance against the Netherlands on Sunday. The World Cup final was Sunday in in uh, France. They played the Netherlands, who who were making their first ever appearance in the World Cup final for the ladies, and the and the U.S. come out on top two nil. You had goals by Megan Rapino, who we're going to talk about in a minute, and we also had a great goal by Rose Lavelle. Uh, Rapino had a scored by the the, the penalty. By a penalty kick, and Lavelle with a great goal about 15 to 20 minutes, about 15 minutes after uh, Rapino's goal uh, to ice the game at two nothing. Uh, great performance by the USA throughout the tournament. A lot of adversity, had some injury, couple of injury issues. They showed off their depth. They showed off, you know, their skill level and their 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 dominance. Obviously, the the women are, are have been criticized a little bit for their kind of reactions during the Thailand game after the first uh, in, in the first game of the tournament. 
other than that, I can't. You have. I don't have anything you can complain about as far as the women's performance, um, their celebrations and all that were were, were right in line. You know, Bay was making a big deal about Alex Morgan with her little T, uh, T motion. I'd have a big deal. That didn't bother me one bit. So, uh, interesting how the U.S. Uh, reaction was around the world. You know, they got. They, there's a lot of the all, all the. Uh, chance and all the post game uh, chatter about you know the equal pay situation if you don't know that the US women's uh, team has filed a lawsuit against the US Soccer Federation uh, trying to get a more equivalent pay scale relative to what, to what the men's national team players earn make bonuses all that kind of good stuff some interesting uh, you know formulas and, and revenue comparisons of what the women generate versus what the men generate bonus structures, salaries, all that kind of good stuff. Um, you know, from a World Cup perspective, the men's World Cup is exponentially bigger than the women's World Cup from a revenue perspective. TV rights, merchandising, ticket sales, all that kind of stuff. If you noticed, the women's World Cup, many of the stadiums were, were on, the, on the smaller end as far as stadium size. You know, 20, 25,000 stadiums and not, and not quite sold out. That Those kind of things. Whereas, you watch a men's World Cup game, they're playing in these larger, you know, 40, 50, 60,000 seat stadiums. Uh, not all the men's games sell out by any means, but the, definitely the ticket sales and revenues from the men's World Cup are, again, exponentially uh, more, more, uh, more uh, than the women have generated. So that, that's kind of one of the arguments you're going to hear uh, in the public specter is whether the, as far as the women go, but what, Comparing the men's team and the women's team in the United States and the amount of revenue that we generate at events, at uh, friendlies, at, and, and based on the, the, the excellence that the women have shown, I definitely see that the, that the women will get a, a substantial increase in a, in a share of the revenue pie uh, moving forward. Uh, will it be equal to what the men make? I would doubt it, but it'll be, it'll be in the neighborhood and it'll be much more viable than what it is now. I would be pretty confident to figure that out, to, to uh, reason on that. They are going to a mediation. They both, uh, both sides have agreed to a mediation, which should, should happen here pretty soon. So stay tuned to that. The other big news, you know, coming out of the Women's World Cup is kind of Megan Rapino and the whole, are the, are the women going to go see the president at the White House? That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Trump's going to make an obligatory uh, invite to the team to come, but I'm, I would be shocked if the if the women's team showed up. They definitely will not show up as a team. Um, you know, does the coach show up? Does the does the you know do do a couple players on the team show up? Who knows? I would doubt it. I would think that that's probably going to be a all or nothing decision by the by the team, and I would doubt that they're going to probably show up. Uh, Megan Rapinoe has been very vocal in the media concerning the views. Uh, espoused by uh, towards the president, so that's that's her right to do that. Um, you know, what all I would say to the women is again, you, I know there's a lot of varying opinions concerning the current concerning President Trump, and we all have our, our you know our, our things we probably agree with him a little bit on, and some, and some things that we think, wow, what is this guy doing? And what kind of you know what kind of thought process is he thinking on these? But uh, you know, you just you just hope that the women don't uh, regret not 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 making that decision to, to go to go to the White House. It's probably a once in a lifetime opportunity for a lot of those women. 
you got to figure there's some people on that team that do support Trump and maybe you're just, you know, just keeping it low, low key or quiet. Who knows? I don't know. But um, I can't imagine the entire team is anti-Trump, but I don't know. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens on that front here in the next couple of weeks, whether Trump invites them, whether, uh, you know, the team makes a vocal statement that none, nobody's going or it might be where a couple people go or a couple people don't go. So, uh, but, you know, but as far as the women moving forward, obviously you have the, Olymp the Olympics coming up next summer is the next kind of big tournament. The, the thing for the ladies that, that we have to try to do, if, 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 you, if, you're, if you're asking for equal pay and, and all that kind of stuff, we have to find a way to make the Women's Professional League here in the United States a little more viable and more self-sustaining. Um, I know they, the NWSL is the name of the Women's Pro League here. Uh, there's, I don't know, I, I'd, I'd have to double check the number of franchises, but I would guess probably in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 franchises is probably the number. Uh, throughout the throughout the, the country, um, but you have to figure out a way to get more women to uh, you know more attendance, more television uh, opportunities for some of the for for, for uh, this women's pro league in order to make the World Cup not just a, a blip on the radar or the Olympics a blip on the radar to where the women's soccer is kind of in the at least in the consciousness of the sports fan. Uh, obviously, the women's soccer is incredibly popular with the young girls, our, our young 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 girls around the country that play. Uh, I'm a fan of soccer, so I I, I don't have a problem watching it. Um, but the, but the average casual sports fan who maybe is not a big soccer fan is probably not going to sit down and watch a women's soccer match involving two uh, professional teams, the Raleigh team and an Orlando team, or if there's a Tampa team versus a Nashville team. Uh, from the women's front, so that, that's the part that's the hard part from a revenue perspective is network-wise, you know, you got the ESPNs and the FS1s of the world that, that are looking for content, but you have to have viewers to get advertisement, and the advertisement's what, draw, what draws some of the salaries, is what drives some of the salaries, so uh, we'll be interested to see how that league progresses and how viable it can remain in the next couple of years, even following the women's the U.S. women winning their fourth World Cup, which is pretty incredible. Back-to-back -back World Cup champions, 2015 and 19. Um, so, U.S. men's soccer, a disappointing Gold Cup final loss to Mexico Sunday night in Chicago. A very disappointing loss to the Mexican team, which was not fielding their best team from all indications. Um you know, the U.S. had several great chances in the first half to score. Josie Altidore missed a golden opportunity uh, probably at the, about the 30-minute mark of the first half. Uh, there were several other opportunities just unable to score on the Mexicans, and the Mexicans uh, made the U.S. pay. They put on a lot of pressure early in the second half, and they made the U.S. pay with a, with a goal about, the, about 10, 10, 15 minutes into the second half. And Greg Berhalter, the coach of the U.S. team, was not able to uh, manufacture an equalizer. Um, so the Me so Mexico wins the 2019 Gold Cup um, final in Chicago, beats the U.S. team. Remember, the U.S. team did not qualify for the World Cup, so that's kind of something to be uh, wary of. Um, so it's going to be a long time between now and the in the next. World Cup qualifying for the American team. So 
these next couple of years is going to be definitely a transition period for the for U.S. soccer, not having World Cup to prepare for. Uh, the roster's kind of in flux. There's, they're, they're going through a lot of different young players. Pulisic is definitely showing to be a world-class player. You know, he's definitely the best player America has developed in the last 25 years from all indications. He's heading to play in Chelsea. He was transferred from, from the Bundesliga to the Premier League this, this last offseason, heading to Chelsea. Hopefully he'll get opportunities to play for Chelsea on the first team. And he'll get opportunities to play on a regular basis in Chelsea, because uh, that's going to be the key to his development. He's got to play at the world, at the top levels of world soccer, the Premier League, obviously the Bundesliga, are the two biggest leagues in the world. And hopefully uh, Pulisic will get an opportunity to play and flourish, as well as other Americans, because uh, again, that's the key to developing the national team, in my opinion. This year is that your players have got to play meaningful minutes on their club teams. Uh, and as many guys as that we can get overseas as we can, the better that our national team product will be. Um, you know, the MLS is a great domestic league here in the States. But again, if you have opportunities to go to get meaningful minutes in the in the Premier League, Bundesliga, even in Holland, places like Italy, places like that, you have to take advantage of those opportunities because you're going to get the best coaching. You're going to get the best, uh, uh, you know, of all facets of, of treatment from a player. Uh, perspective the pay is very very good overseas uh, a little bit better as far as relative to the to MLS so uh, I'm encouraged with what I saw you know you have some promising young players coming up but again it's going to be a long drought between now and next World Cup qualifying and it, and I but I do like what Greg Berhalter has been doing okay want to give a shout out to Bob Lee ESPN a recent retirement from ESPN 40 years with the network was one of the original uh, guys him Chris Berman George Grant Tom Meese back in the day uh, one of the original guys from ESPN so uh, Bob Lee outside the lines World Cup he was a great soccer advocate he did a lot of great investigative stuff with outside the lines um, he was kind of ESPN's point man. Anytime there was tragedy, I mean, you would always see Bob Lee would kind of be the lead guy for ESPN. Any kind of tragic situation, uh, death, any any kind of major tragedy in the sports world, Bob Lee would kind of be the main man for ESPN on those on those fronts. So tremendous career um, with ESPN, forty years with them. Uh, sounds like he's going to do some uh, a lot of stuff outside of maybe media, some teaching stuff and things like that. I saw. I listened to a, another podcast with Richard Deitch. He interviewed Bob Lee for about 45 minutes. It was excellent. So if you get a chance, check that out. Um, the Sports Media Podcast. Um, of course, listen to my podcast, but and tell all your friends about my podcast. But if you have, if you're going to listen to more than more than just the Powers on Sports podcast, then go check out Richard Deitch and the Sports Media Podcast. Good job by Richard. So, but. MLB. Let's transition to the MLB. The All Star. We just we just wrapped up the All Star uh, game and the Home Run Derby. Great Home Run Derby. Awesome to watch. I normally never watch it, but uh, I, I did I did watch a little bit of it this year. Uh, we had a little home Tampa hometown flavor in the event. Pete Alonso from the Mets, first baseman, who ended up winning the event, is a product of Tampa. He went to Plant High School here at Tampa. He's a first baseman for the Mets. 
Um, but again, definitely a uh, awesome home run derby. That probably the highlight of the home run derby was probably the the battle between Jock Peterson and Vlad Guerrero Jr. in the semifinals. They each I think hit 29 home runs. They went to a, a, a hit off like a one minute hit off, and they each hit another uh, seven or eight home runs. And then they had a three-swing hit off where uh, Vlad Guerrero barely by one <coughs> excuse me by one swing outdueled Jock Peters, but just tremendous, tremendous job by in the whole home run derby. I think Vlad Guerrero hit like sixty-five home runs in the home run derby. I think he was just exhausted when he got to the finals versus Pete Alonso, and it was still close, but Pete Alonso out homered uh Vlad Guerrero in the finals, but it was you know, he definitely uh Vlad Guerrero is definitely gonna be a uh prolific hitter in the league. Obviously his dad, Vlad Guerrero uh the original Vlad Guerrero was a was a Hall of Fame player. Uh Vlad Guerrero Jr. kinda reminds me of a little bit of, of Cecil Fielder. He's a big boy. He's like twenty years old, but he's a you know, thick. You know, he, 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 he hasn't missed any meals, not afraid to eat the steak. I mean, steak and potatoes. I mean, he's just a big guy. No, you know, his dad was always pretty lean and, and, and could throw and run like the wind. But uh, Vlad Vlad Jr. is playing third base. He won't be uh, stealing in many bases anytime soon. But And he's, uh, he's a professional eater, it looks like. So, uh, but tremendous hitter he's going to be, I think, for the Blue Jays. Great show in the home run derby. Again, all the guys did a, did a, did a nice job. Uh, packed house in Cleveland, uh, all that good stuff, and I'm sure the ratings were very good for ES for uh, for yeah ESPN did the home run derby. Fox did the game, but I'm sure the ratings were excellent for ESPN with the home run derby, especially with all the drama with uh, Peterson and Vlad Guerrero Jr. and then Pete Alonso taking out taking home the uh, million dollars. Pete Alonso made a million bucks in like two hours worth of work, and he's going to make like five fifty throughout for 162 games. So, and that that's pretty amazing that uh, he basically doubles his annual salary for the for the for the two hours worth of, of home run derbying. Um, but good for him, Pete Alonso, good guy from all indications, great guys, giving away a bunch of the a chunk of the money away to nine some 9/11 victims, uh, a victims fund. And that kind of thing, so to charity. So good for Pete Alonzo. Alonzo's having a tremendous year with the Mets. Got about 30 home runs at the All-Star break. Kind of guys come out of nowhere. We all knew about Alonzo down here in Tampa. He went to Florida to play college, but he was you know high school, big high school player here in Tampa. Had a lot of uh, you know a lot of potential, high draft pick and all that stuff. So good for Pete Alonzo and the rest of the guys at the home run derby. All-Star game, good game uh, again. You know, a lot of strikeouts, pretty fast game. Uh, the American League won for the seventh straight year. They won 4-3. Uh, late game, uh, got a little tight late in the game, and Chapman closed the door for the Yankees. Araldis in the ninth inning. But uh, Shane Bieber, the Cleveland Indians pitcher, won the MVP. He struck out the side in the one inning he pitched. One of the cool things I thought about the All-Star game was how Fox had guys mic'd up throughout the game. I thought that was awesome. You know, it's something you want you, you definitely want to hear more, see more of what the players are thinking, a little conversation between the players and the announcers. You know, you had Joe Buck and Smoltz in the booth. We're talking to Freddie Freeman at the plate when he was lead playing, uh, you know, hitting against Justin Verlander. 
I don't know if I would want to be hearing guys talk at the at the plate when they're hitting, but definitely when they're in the field, when they're playing the outfield or in between pitches, things like that. I don't have any problem with you know a little conversation going on between uh, the, the broadcaster and the player. I think it's excellent um, to do, and obviously the broadcaster just has to know when to be quiet and let the player focus on the action. Uh, would it happen during a regular season game? I think it should. I think you ought to do that. I think it ought to be something we, they do all the time. Maybe not every single game, but maybe it's something you do one day a week. Pick one day during the week where you do it, where the where it's either the local the local broadcaster or the national game, whether it's the ESPN game or the Fox games. But I definitely think you should allow those guys to communicate a little more. Obviously, they do a lot of stuff in the dugouts for the guys that are not playing. They'll talk to a pitcher or the manager for a couple questions here and there. But uh, definitely, you ought, to, you ought to mic up some of these players during the game. And, and there just has to be some respect that, that the broadcasters know that to, to not be talking to the guys, you know, when, when pitches are imminent, things like that. So find some occasional dead periods in the game to talk to these guys. and Because the fans want to hear from the guys. It's going to draw more people to the TVs. It's going to draw more kids to the action. It's going to keep us older adults more engaged in the game. If I know that Pete Alonzo's, you know, talking about money he's giving away or things he's doing maybe off the field or – Hey, what were you thinking when you slid into second base there? Hey, why did you decide to steal second base? Or just all those kind of nuances that you hear about. So uh, the strategy of the game. So I think it's it's a good it's a good uh, good uh, addition to the All Star game by Fox, no doubt about it. And definitely keep it up. In my opinion, uh, I'm a big fan of that. So I think it does nothing but add value to the broadcast as long as it's not abused. Second half of the baseball season, we got some interesting races going on. Uh, National League-wise, you kind of got the Dodgers uh, running away from things in the NL West. The NL Central is kind of bunched up. You got everybody within five games, I believe, even the Reds, you know, from the from the Cubs to the Brewers, the Pirates to the Reds. They're all within striking distance, uh, which nobody would have thought the Pirates and the Reds would have been in the mix. You also have the Cardinals in the mix there. Out west with the with the Dodgers, who are going to win the division, but you got the Padres and you got Colorado kind of in the wild card mix. And in the NL East, you got the Braves that are up five or six games on the national on the surging Nationals. The Nationals were left for dead a month ago, but they've had a tremendous month. Uh, the pitching's been excellent. The hitting's been uh, clutch. They finally it looks like they've gotten their bullpen straightened out a little bit with Doolittle at the back end, but. Nationals are a dangerous team. They're on fire. I think they're in the wild card. If the wild card started today, they would be in. So uh, you got the Phillies in the, in the division as well. The Mets and the Marlins are done. Um, you'll probably see a fire sale in New York as far as trading some guys. You'll see Zach Wheeler get traded. Talk of Syndergaard getting traded is start will heat up. Um, I think Syndergaard could be a big help to somebody come down come the pennant race down the stretch. But Zach Wheeler will definitely get traded. Um, but uh, National League, like I said, you probably have the Dodgers and the Braves are gonna are probably gonna make it unless the Braves just collapse. Um, I think you're gonna have a battle between the Brewers and the Cubs for that division, and then your wild card teams are probably gonna come down to probably the Nationals, the Padres, probably the loser between the Cubs and the Brewers. Maybe the Cardinals are in the mix. So you'll probably have four or five, you know, probably four teams vying for the uh, two wild card spots. In the National League, uh, in the American League, you pretty much have Houston's going to be the division winner. I think the Yankees are going to be the division winner. And then, then you have a little bit of a battle in the Central between Minnesota and Cleveland. Cleveland, again, was underperforming for the last 
you know, up until about the last five weeks, and they've played really, really well the last five weeks. Um, they're they're in striking distance of Minnesota. They're like five and a half, six games out of the All Star break. I think Minnesota will win the division, but Cleveland Cleveland will definitely be in the wild card hunt with the Rays, the Red Sox, the Rangers. Those teams are all in the wild card hunt. Each of those teams have different issues. You know, the Rays have some some uh, bullpen issues. They could use they definitely could use a big bullpen arm as well as another bat. Their their offensive lineup is just meager at best they've got some injury issues i went to the game last saturday against the yankees and they're rolling out two or three guys in that lineup to just have no business being starting players in the major leagues can be role players backup outfielders things like that but you can't have heredia guillermo heredia as your starting leadoff hitter wendell's very average at best um you know yandy diaz is okay um they're they're Nate Lowe is a, is, a, is a prospect at first base, but they're, he's playing because of injuries. You got Austin Meadows out. You got Choi out at first base. You got Glass now out as a pitcher. Uh, there are two guys that have been closing games for him, but both been hurt and inconsistent. So they need a closer and they need a bat. So we'll see what they do. The Red Sox desperately need some bullpen help. Sounds like they're going to move Eovaldi to, the, to, to be the closer. He's about to come off the disabled list here in about the next week. He's going to be the closer. They're probably going to trade for another starting pitcher. Um, the Yankees, they could use a starting pitcher as well. The Astros need another starter. Cleveland's in kind of a dilemma. Do they go for it this year? Do they not go for it? Do you trade Trevor Bauer? Do you keep him? You know, they're in a win-now kind of mode, but they don't want to sell the farm uh, for the future. Uh, they don't want to have to pay Trevor Bauer in the offseason, so they may be trying to trade him. Lindor is getting ready to get paid here pretty soon, so it's going to be interesting if, they can, if they're going to be able to keep Lindor. Same with Texas. Texas was unexpected, has been unexpectedly in the pennant race this year. Uh, not going to win the division, but definitely in the wild card hunt. I don't see Texas selling the farm to, to get another player or two. Um, but I do see Minnesota as a team that I think is going to make a big trade for somebody. Don't be surprised if Madison Bumgarner doesn't go there. He would be a great addition there in Minnesota to him to pair up with Barrios for the playoffs. Odorizzi's having a great year as a starting pitcher for them. You could also see Minnesota getting a reliever. They need a closer, uh, one of those kind of, you know, need somebody that, that can close down games at the end. They they can crush the ball on offense. It's, their start, it's just their pitching and their uh, the ability to close out games is going to be the issue for Minnesota uh, with the bullpen. So I'd love to see Minnesota in the hunt, uh, in, in it at the end, because it's again small market team. The Rays are gonna—I think the Rays are gonna hang in there. I do think the Rays are gonna make a trade or two. They've always made a trade or two, be crafty and creative near the deadline. One thing to remember: trade deadline. There's only one trade deadline now, July 31. There used to be July 31, and then teams could make trades throughout the month of August as long as that player cleared waivers. So no more waivers period in August. It's just a one one deadline situation. Whatever you have at the end of July is what you got going to the playoffs. No more trades, no more waiver waiver claims and all that kind of good stuff in August. So be, these next two weeks are going to be heated up. Some big players are going to be on the move. Bumgarner, Zach Wheeler. Uh, there's always a surprise player that gets traded typically at the trade deadline. So don't be surprised if a big bat gets traded. Somebody like Seattle makes us some trades. Wouldn't be shocked if somebody like Anna, uh, the Angels made a trade or two. You know, they're not going to trade Mike Trout, but, you know, um, you know, 
I don't think anybody would go after a poo hole situation, uh, but you never know. Somebody might take a flyer on a poo holes at the trade deadline. Um, but there will be lots of action and activity at the trade deadline. Clo relievers, couple starters, and a couple of bats of what you'll see. But you'll see a lot of you'll see a lot of relievers get traded. A lot of middle relievers, setup guys. You'll probably see a couple closers get traded from some teams that are out of the hunt. Um, you know. Some of those kind of guys that you'll see get moved. You know, somebody from like a Pittsburgh or San Francisco Giants. The Giants will be sellers. The Mets will be sellers. You'll see probably a team like uh, the Marlins, if they have anybody to sell that's of interest to people. Uh, they're looking for prospects and all that kind of stuff to save money. So, But I do think wild card-wise, I'm going to make my prediction. I'm going to go... I'm going to go division winners, Houston, Minnesota, and the Yankees. In the wild card, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the Rays and the Red Sox are going to are going to squeak in the wild card. It's going to go right down to the last weekend of the season. But the Rays and the and the Red Sox are going to play a one game wild card to see who goes to the playoffs. National League, Braves, Dodgers, and I'm going to go with the Cubs. And then I think my wild card teams are going to be the Brewers and the Nationals is who I'm going with. Milwaukee and Washington as my wild card picks. All right, to wrap it up, training camp, NFL, right around the corner, about two weeks away. Again, uh, you're going to see uh, all the teams start practicing late July, that last weekend in July. Preseason games start that first weekend in August with the Hall of Fame game. This is the 100th year of the NFL, so you're going to see tons and tons of commemorations, celebrations, honorary, honorees, uh, awards being given, all that kind of stuff, honoring the 100 years of the NFL. And it will all start at the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, they're going to they're gonna induct their guys in the Hall of Fame. But I think next year they're going to expand the Hall of Fame, I believe, to uh, potentially induct a few more guys for the 100th year. But you will have the Hall of Fame inductions this year. <clears throat> Obviously, you'll have some storylines, you know, Interesting nugget today with Josh Norman of the Redskins, who apparently was over in Spain running with the Bulls and Pamplona. If you see that stuff every year, those guys run down the street and idiots, not idiots, I won't say they're idiots, but the very uh, courageous guys will run down the streets with the Bulls through the through the streets of Pamplona. But today, Josh Norman was in the in the in the bull pit, and apparently he was jumping over bulls. Jumping over bulls with horns. He survived, didn't get injured, but I, I can imagine the Redskins are not very excited about what they what they saw today. It was all over social media, him jumping over the bulls. Five or six people apparently got gored, which means getting stuck with the bull horns. I don't think they were they were not killed, but gored meaning uh, injured due to the due to the due to the uh, horn activity of the bulls. But just not very smart for a guy that's making you know fifteen million dollars this year, eleven of it guaranteed. Just you know, do that when you retire, man. The day after you retire, the year after you retire, if you want to go do that kind of stuff, go do it. But don't be an idiot because you know they were one. You're you're one slip up away from it being a disaster and being you know your career being over. You're potentially being uh, you know injured severely. You obviously had the kid from Miami was in the car wreck last week for the Dolphins, Kendrick Norton, who lost his arm. Arm had to be amputated. 
The uh, police report came out today that said he was at fault for the accident. Who knows what he was doing, how fast he was going, probably probably going too fast. But amp arm amputated, NFL career over. Luckily, the NFL is going to step up and they're going to pay his medical bills from from all indications. So at least you know that part of the equation is going to be handled. But as far as his earning potential, that's gone. You know. The guy had a had a had a future as a player in the league. You know, was he going to be a star player? No. But again, if you're in that league for five or six years, you get a pension, you get medical benefits, you make a hell of a salary for, for five, four or five years. Uh, even if you're on the low end of the roster, you're still making four five hundred grand at minimum um, for a four or five year career. If you if you make it four or five years, you're going to get a pension as you when you get older, and all that stuff's gone now. Uh, you know. Every year you hear stories, two or three stories a year in the offseason of guys that get into car wrecks, reckless behavior, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul with the fireworks, incidents like that where it just, it just really hampers your earning potential, earning power, and it's just a shame that that's happening. So um, stay the course, fellas. Do your training. Don't do stupid stuff in the offseason. Go play a little basketball, play a little golf, go on vacation. But don't be jumping over bowls, okay? I like to snow ski, but, you know, probably wouldn't be snow skiing if I was a professional athlete at this point in my career. But another question to think about, is Gronk coming back? There's been more and more kind of banter and chatter that he potentially could come back at some point during the year. He allegedly was catching passes from Tom Brady last week out in, out in L.A., it wouldn't shock me one bit if you saw Gronk come back in about week six or week seven, something like that, especially if the Patriots were struggling at all. Um, you know, I could definitely see a scenario where Gronkowski came back for the last seven or eight games of the season in playoffs. Um, you know, I think he wants to have fun now, and he's having his fun and all that good stuff, but I think once the game starts, he's going to miss the games, and that juice is going to, that thought's going to come back of, I want to come back. The question is, will the Patriot, will Belichick take him back? That it wouldn't shock me if Belichick didn't take him back. Um, but in the end, usually Belichick takes back, you know, makes football decisions that he thinks can make the football team better. And if he thinks Gronk can make them better, especially the tight end position, especially now that Ben Watson is is going to be uh, suspended for the first four games for PEDs, and that their tight end depth is not great to begin with. Uh, if he thinks Gronk can help him and Gronk wants to come back and the Patriots were struggling, I could see definitely a scenario where Gronk comes back in week seven, week eight, something like that. Um, one more tidbit, and we'll, that we'll, then we'll, we'll wrap it up. The NFL officials, um, the NFL announced today that, the, the, that they, are, they are kind of doing away with the full-time officiating program that they had proposed a few years ago. Where they would have a, a, a certain number of officials on a full-time basis with the league, and the rest of the guys would be would be still part-timers, but the full-time guys would kind of be overseeing some of the training and all that kind of stuff that goes into the, the full-time part of the job. Um, but the NFL has pretty much backed away from the full-time officiating program from from what they what they're reporting uh, today. And want to give a shout out to a guy that I know, Jimmy Russell, was just selected to become an NFL official from here in Tampa. Jimmy was a uh, SEC back judge and was selected to uh, be a NFL deep official this year. So congratulations to Jimmy. 
I know Jim, me, Jimmy, Jimmy and I have been in touch a little bit on text over the last couple months. And Jimmy's been had the great opportunity to work some Canadian Football League games this year. He worked some of the, in the AAF, the defunct AAF. And he was hired to be an NFL official. So congratulations to Jimmy. It's a great honor. Awesome accomplishment. Um, you know, it'll be something that'll be a lifelong uh, opportunity for him. That if he does a good job, he'll be able to, that'll be something he'll be able to do for the next probably 15 years. 15, 18 years of his, of his life. And uh, the pay's not too bad either. So congratulations, Jimmy. And I uh, look forward to seeing you on Sunday. So. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Thanks for joining us and appreciate the, uh, the, the listen. Tell a friend about, what, about us. And, uh, again, check us. At, you, can, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio.com, uh, Google Podcasts as well. And, uh, like I said, tell a friend, Powers on Sports podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers. Have a great week. Hope you had a nice Fourth of July weekend. And uh, one, one more note I want to mention is Wimbledon tomorrow. Federer and Nadal should be a classic. Should be a classic. And the winner's probably going to get Djokovic on Sunday. So breakfast at Wimbledon will be awesome. Probably Sunday for all those tennis fans out there. In the women's final, it's Serena and Halep. Simona Halep are in the finals on Saturday. So if you like tennis... Breakfast at Wimbledon, we miss Dick Enberg, Bud Collins, but Fowler, McEnroe, McEnroe, Chris Everett, they're pretty good too. So enjoy your weekend. See you for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast.